Well, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 17 to the end of the chapter. And that can be found on page 1097 of the Church Pew Bibles. It's 1097, starting at chapter 5, uh, verse 12. And I'm carrying on from where Tim left off this morning. And as we were having some uh, communication in the week, uh, Tim said, Oh no, I hope we have, we're not choosing the same passage to preach on. Uh, because I put the wrong passage down when I, when I uh, put him in some communication. I said, no, we're actually preaching the next passage after it. And he said, it's like we planned it. We didn't plan it, but uh, the Lord overruled. So he's preaching. Uh, I'm starting where Tim left off this morning. So we'll start at chapter 5, verse 12, page 1097 of the Pew Bibles. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail And brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they'd been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priests and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, And sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour 
that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Galileo, teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thodas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to pray for us as we look at this passage uh, together. I'm going to be learning uh, two uh, tips, two lessons, as it were, that God teaches us about how he grows his church. Uh, let's pray together now. Dear Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you teach us, that you instruct us, and you guide us through it. Father, I pray that you would help me to explain your word clearly this evening. I also pray that you help us to hear what your spirit is saying to us in our hearts. We commit this message to you, Lord, and ask that you would do your work through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you either love it or hate it. Which one are you, a lover or hater of Marmite? I love Marmite. I even had some this afternoon. People have strong reactions to it, though, I understand. And in fact, Marmite apparently did some research in isolating a gene which they reckoned made you predisposed to liking Marmite. You can even buy a kit. See, this is the kit, and you can send your uh, DNA into Marmite, and they'll let you know whether your DNA apparently predisposes you to liking Marmite or not. So if you want to test it out, Google it. You can buy a kit. Well... Working with the Lord sometimes means you will become a bit like Marmite. People have strong reactions to the gospel, and sometimes people have a Marmite reaction to the gospel. And they can have a Marmite reaction to you. They can love you, or they can hate you. You know, you will see over the course of your life, if you're just starting out on your Christian walk, that you'll see people 
who go from one reaction and you'll see people who have another reaction. I remember when I first became a Christian, um, my life took a direction that my father didn't like. And when my life took a direction my father didn't like, he said, right, son, he says, the Lord will have to provide for you from now on. And sadly, my father, he hated the gospel. And but after about eight years of me having become a Christian, he said to me, he said, I still love you, son, even though you're a Protestant. Now, you have to remember, my father was Irish. So in, in my father's eyes, he says, you're either a Protestant or a Catholic, you're either left-footed or you're right-footed. He didn't see it any more, uh, any more simply than that. He didn't, if I ever tried to speak to him about Jesus and the Bible, he said, I don't, I don't see any of that at all. You're either left-footed or you're right-footed. And I remember the day he said to me, I did smile, I still love you, son. Pause even though you're a Protestant. It made me smile. But it wasn't just my beliefs that upset my dad. It was also my lifestyle change. Um, I only really saw my father when I was about 18 plus, because he lived about two and a half hours away from me in London, and I lived near the New Forest in the Southampton. So when I was 18, I could drive. So I'd go and see my dad. And my dad had two pursuits in life, working and drinking. They were his two biggest pursuits. And sometimes he combined the two. And as a dentist, that could be quite scary. Okay? And sometimes he would uh, uh, be treating patients at 2 or 3 a.m. in the middle of the night, and he'd have some nice red wine stains going down either side of his mouth. He was a great guy. He, lots of people loved him, and he had a fantastic uh, work ethic, as I said, but sometimes his working and his drinking did overlap. And he was enthusiastic for both pursuits. So one time, after I became a Christian, he'd said to me, son, shall I get you a beer from the local off-license called Bottoms Up? Do we still have Bottoms Up off-licenses these days? Does anyone know? I haven't seen them around. Well, in South London, there's Bottoms Up. And my dad was a frequent, uh, a frequent flyer, Bottoms Up. And he said, shall I get you a beer? I said, okay, dad, I'll have a beer with you, no problem. And he came back with eight beers. And I had to say, dad... The days of me having eight beers on a quiet night in are gone. I'm very sorry. But for my dad, that was a great disappointment because I'd gone from being the son who he really loved to being the religious Fruit Loop son who wouldn't drink eight pints of beer on a quiet night in. And he said to me, I'm sorry, son. The Lord will have to provide for you. But the good news is the Lord did provide for me. And I started from no pounds with no notice and the Lord provided work and a job, and I hit my rent within about two or three days of, the, of uh, my father saying that to me. So becoming a Christian and living out your Christian life can mean sometimes that you'll become a bit like Marmite. And it's only fair that I tell you that. But you also need to see that that is entirely normal. If you don't see it's normal, when a bad reaction happens, you'll be taken by surprise and you might have your faith damaged. And equally, when a good reaction happens, you might become carried away on an equally damaging wave of optimism. You see, the reaction to the gospel that the apostles received in our passage today was a Marmite reaction. Did you see it? Some people loved it. Some people hated it. More and more people were believing the religious leaders were jealous. And we're going to look at those two different reactions which the Lord has put very helpfully side by side in this passage for us. We're going to look at verse 12 to 16 
and that's going to be the positive reaction to the gospel. And then we look at verse 17 to the end of the chapter, and that is going to be the more challenging reaction to the gospel. It's like Marmite. It's love and it's hate. So let's look at verse 12 to 16. And the first point I'd like to make from these passages is, some people will love the gospel, so share it freely. Look with me where the apostles are. Verse 12 and 13. The apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Now, presumably, the news about Ananias and Sapphira has spread, and people are greatly fearing the Lord, so they're not wanting to presume that they can easily become Christians because of the way that the Lord has searched the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira, seen their deceit, and judged them. There's a holy fear that's descended amongst all the believers and the general atmosphere around them. Now, Solomon's colonnade, did you see that in verse 12? Now, this is an area around the temple. I think I've got a picture of it there. It's basically the colonnade around the outside of the temple. Now, this is taking place in summer. So this would be quite a good, cool place to meet. You'd be outside of the sun, but you've still got a little bit of a breeze, and people will congregate. And this is where the apostles were meeting, at Solomon's colonnade. And when they're meeting here, in a way, they're carrying on from where the Lord left off his work. It was a practical area. And when the Lord spoke here, he was in John's gospel. I've got to look over my shoulders. You see, at Grace Church, we have it up to the right, and I can just look to the right. So I've got into a bad habit of looking at every slide. So I'll be turning my back on you, so you have to forgive me. And this was when Jesus was in John's gospel, and he said, it was winter, and Jesus was in the temple, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. So it was here in Solomon's colonnade that Jesus was telling the people that he was the Messiah. He is God's son. And it's fitting that Jesus, that the the apostles are carrying on Jesus' work And the apostles are reaffirming Jesus as the Messiah here in Solomon's colonnade, just where Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah. And of course, as Jesus was saying then, the new temple is here. You see the stones, the building, you think that is the way to get right with God. And that is the way that God prescribed through the sacrifice and the priesthood. And Jesus was saying, one greater than the temple is here. Jesus is the new temple. That's what all of John's gospel is about, that Jesus has replaced the temple. He is the new temple, and the apostles here are preaching Jesus as the new temple, the new way to be right with God. And the people are being blessed. Look at verse 13. No one else joined them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. The apostles are held in respect. They're listening to the message, and they're respecting the people telling them the message. Verse 14, 
Not only are they respecting the messengers, people are believing. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And the blessings carry on. Look, verse 15 to 16. There's mass healings and there's mass crowds. As a result, people brought those who were ill. Verse 16, crowds gathered, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. God was authenticating his message through the miraculous healings. People were believing. The church was growing. It was the equivalent of something going viral. And that's the way sometimes the gospel goes. The word of the Lord just spreads and grows. I remember first when I first started um, working, pretty much just after my father uh, said to me, uh, the Lord will have to provide for you now on, and I had to find any old job that I could find as quick as I could. And I worked in a computer graphics company called Pindar in Daleend in Birmingham city centre. And I remember sharing with a group of men the gospel. Just as we were chatting and doing our work, I'd share with them every now and then about Christian things. And during that time, one of the men, after I left, did a one-to-one with another Christian who permanently worked in the, in the company. I was just a temp. I was just a hired hand who comes in and does as he's told for a few weeks. But when, after I left, a Christian colleague of his started sharing the gospel. And he said he's doing really well. He's been coming along to our cell groups, which is the equivalent of our home groups, and he's really interested. You know, sometimes there's people who are just waiting to hear the gospel. You know, in Acts 13, verse 48, it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. See, all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The Lord has set up his universe that sometimes when we share the gospel with someone, that person will just believe. They've been waiting for that message to come. And when they hear the message, they don't object, they don't scoff, they don't mock, they listen with respect, and they believed. And sometimes that will happen as we share the message of the gospel. The people here in Acts, they're accepting the message, aren't they? You can see verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. God is growing his church. And what are they believing? They're believing the word of the Lord. They're having the gospel message explained to them They are then believing that message and they are becoming believers. Sometimes we'll share the gospel, people will believe, and a new harvest will be brought in. Remember, this is happening at the time of Pentecost, the time of the Jewish harvest. And now it's not a harvest of of farm products, it's a harvest of souls and of people. I remember I was sharing the gospel um, with a Christianity Explored course that we run at Grace Community Church. And a couple of ladies decided they would like to do it on the back of an evangelistic uh, meeting. And as I was sharing the gospel with this one particular lady, um, over a number, about after about sort of week three or week four, she just said, Wow, this is amazing. 
says, why haven't I heard this before? This is great. She instantly believed. And I saw her this morning. She just said she's starting to serve at our play and stay group. And she looks for ways to bring her children to church. She literally just believed. And it's a wonderful thing when someone trusts the gospel because it brings a complete transformation to a life. We saw some of these transformations here. The way the Lord authenticated his message through the um, miraculous healings. Those who were ill, those who were tormented by impure spirits, they were just healed. So how can we know who will believe? <laughs> we can't. Oh, I can't stress this, I can't stress this, stress this point enough. I have learned through thousands of hours of speaking to individuals, I've learned to deeply distrust my own judgment in this. I have spent thousands and thousands of hours. I'm not blowing my own trumpet. I'm not bragging. I'm just trying to make a point. And that is you can't tell just by looking at someone whether they will be positive or negative to the gospel. You literally can't tell. I've spoken to people who... Um, they've got 666 tattooed on their skinhead and their arms are about as big as my torso and they're literally shaking as you're talking to them about the gospel. Uh, you can see little old grannies who you think wouldn't hurt a fly and uh, sometimes the most vitriolic uh, comments can come from them. You wouldn't believe it. You just can't tell by looking at someone whether they'll believe the gospel. But I bet I know a secret. If you've been a Christian for a while, I bet I know a secret and I bet you do what I do. You see someone. You think, I wonder if they'd be interested in the gospel or not. Hmm. No, he wouldn't be. He drives a BMW X3. Uh, no, she wouldn't. She's got low lights and highlights. There's no way she'd be interested in the gospel. Oh, he won't be interested in the gospel because he's doing X, Y, Z. Do you have, is it, am, I, am I the only person who does it? Do you look at people ever and think whether they'll be interested in the gospel or not? What about the guy who's come back from his hen, you know, the girl's come back from her hen night. She's gone to Amsterdam. What about the guy who's uh, going on Bifa for three weeks? He's a DJ. He wouldn't be interested in the gospel, would he? Would he? Well, I'll tell you something. You can't tell. You just can't tell by looking. You can't see into a person's heart. You can never see what people are really thinking, what people really believe. And this passage just tells us that when you share the gospel, there will be times when people believe. And the Lord didn't say, and all the people who looked a little bit sheepish believed. <laughs> and all the people who had hair off their shoulders believed. And all the people who didn't drive BMWs believed. And all, it doesn't say that, does it? It just says the people. It's just people. It's a wild life. And you just don't know who will believe by looking at them. So that's why we have to keep That's why we have to keep sharing, because, as it says above me, there are those who are appointed for eternal life. Believers are out there. <laughs> we just can't tell who will believe. So if you're a Christian, be confident in sharing the gospel, because there are people out there who will believe. They're literally just waiting to hear the message. Well, you might be looking at this and saying, what about all these miracles uh, going on here? Um, should signs and wonders uh, be normal today? 
Well, it's yes and no, isn't it? Largely, it's the apostles who do these things. They're the unique proclaimers of Jesus, and they're laying the foundation of the faith to demonstrate clearly that God's with them, that it's their message is from him, and you can see that in the dramatic nature of these miracles. Look, all were healed. Those oppressed by spirits, those sick, those unable to get off their sick beds. You know, Peter's shadow just falling on them. Long time, serious sickness. This is incredibly dramatic. And God is authenticating his message. It's kind of like a video trailer for heaven, isn't it? He's saying, this is what it's like. We're going to have no sickness, no disease, no suffering. And here's a sneak preview. I'm going to do all these miracles to authenticate the message. There's even better stuff to come. But can God still do miracles today? Yes, of course he can and he does. And I expect many of us here could tell stories of God's miraculous work in their lives when you're going over 20, 30, and 40 years. But a word of caution, because it doesn't always guarantee people believing. Um, I had a friend who I've been sharing the gospel with probably for about probably 13, 14 years uh, now, maybe even longer from when we were friends at university. And my friend had a real problem. Uh, for years he wanted to have a child, him and his wife, but he was unable to have a child. And he'd been looking at adopting and was going through the process of trying to work out how he could adopt. And one time, we, he was at my, uh, we were having a fa- family holiday together. I invited him on holiday with us. He was in, he's from China. He was in the UK on business. I said, look, just come, come down, spend a few days with us on holiday. And so we were relaxing, and we had uh, a chat one evening, and the chat turned really strange for We've got, we get on really well, but all of a sudden, in the course of the evening, he started to get quite um, aggressive towards me about some of the decisions I was making. And he, he, the tone of the whole conversation turned quite unpleasant, really uncomfortable. And as he was talking to me and criticizing me, uh, uh, and it was one of those times, which was very annoying. You know when someone criticizes you and you think you, you kind of agree with them? And he was thinking, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I, I can't. I can't contradict anything you're saying, which always makes it worse, doesn't it? And as I was sat there feeling as glum as I could, I remember thinking, this is just terrible. It's really sad. And I just said to him, look, can I, can I pray with you before we go to bed? Let me just, can I just pray that God will help you and bless you? He said, yeah, sure. And so we prayed. And I prayed that God would help him, particularly with having a child. And the timeline was this. I, he visited us, and I prayed from the 21st of April, 2014. The 1st of July, he emailed me to say that his wife was two months pregnant. And I looked back on my emails to see how this all worked. So the timeline was, we asked the Lord for help, his wife conceived, and then he actually sent his email and said, the Lord heard your prayer this time. So he even gave the Lord credit for the answered prayer. Did he become a believer? No. No action. Nothing at all. Still an unbeliever, even though he realized, even in his own mind, at least part of him thought he'd received a miracle. So we should realize that you know, the primary way that the Lord brings his people to faith is through the preaching of his word, confirmed in people's hearts by the Holy Spirit. We don't need to rely on miracles to confirm God's word. But having said that, never be afraid to ask God for the miraculous. I mean, he can always say no, can't he? As my father used to say to me, uh, when he knew I wanted something but didn't ask him, he'd always say, son, if you don't ask, you don't get. So I always think, 
is a good thing to ask because you can always be told no. So that's the positive Marmite reaction, haven't we? That's the positive. We've had the loving it. Now let's have the hate reaction. Some people will hate the gospel, but crucially, they can't stop it. Now this is from verse 17 to the end of the passage. So as we've seen, this has been quite a show that's been going on in Solomon's colonnade, uh, but not everyone was applauding, were they? And the group opposed to it, we see in verse 17, the high priest and all his associates, uh, this was not good news for them. Uh, this was all going on in the temple, and the temple was their domain. The high priests, the Sadducees, all the associates... They wanted the people to come to them. They wanted the attention. It was religious pride that was manifesting here. It was straightforward jealousy. It says here in verse 17, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So, verse 18 they arrested the disciples. But the problem for them was that the Lord opened the doors. You see, God was not going to allow his message to stop. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Tell them to go back into the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. Go back in. Share about Jesus, share about repentance, share about Christ's death on the cross, share about the resurrection. Keep on with the message. I'm not going to allow it to be stopped. Verse 21. The next day, we basically have a comedy scene, don't we? So it's a bit like a carry-on temple. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they've been told, and began to teach the people. But look, verse 21 at the the start of the new paragraph, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. So remember that the Sanhedrin is the highest Jewish court. It's It's a little bit like our houses of parliament, but it would have been for the Jewish people, obviously. It basically had 71 judges, Uh, when it met in its full complement, and it was the highest authority amongst the Jewish people. It doesn't get any bigger than this. It's a bit like our biggest, highest court of appeal in the land. Uh, But when the Sanhedrin's assembling, the Lord has told the apostles to go preaching. They then have to go and get them out of the temple. Look at verse uh, 22. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, So they went back and reported, here's the comedy scene, scene verse 23. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain, the temple guard, and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone comes in and says, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. It's quite a clear message, isn't it? The highest court of the land putting the apostles in jail, and the Lord is literally making a mockery of everything they're trying to do. Everything you're trying to do, all the authority, 
all the power, all the guards. The Lord's saying, I can just make a way through all of that. It's not concerning me in the slightest. The Sanhedrin then up the ante, don't they? And they decide they want to put all the apostles to death. Look at verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Previously in Acts, they'd been happy to flog the apostles and send them on their way. But now they want their blood. They're more than just slighted. They're enraged. They've been made to look foolish in front of all the people that they wanted to impress. And now they want to murder the people that have been responsible. However, Gamaliel stands up. You can see him introduced here at verse 34. And he urges restraint. And he rightly identifies at verse 38 to verse 40. He kind of hits the nail on the head, doesn't he? Verse 38, he says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. God's message is unstoppable. And that's really what the Lord wants us to realize through this passage in Acts. That even if the whole world was to turn against the church, God is not going to allow his message or his gospel to be stopped. God never, ever lets his plans be scuppered. I remember reading a testimony of this Chinese Christian called Brother Yun, the heavenly man. And he once wrote in his testimony book about a prison escape. And it was amazing. He was preaching the gospel. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. And he was going to be allowed to escape. And in the uh, testimony he writes, he writes about going past three iron doors, past guards, across an open courtyard, and into a yellow taxi. He went in this yellow taxi to a Christian family who'd been told in a dream that Brother Run would escape. And they'd already prepared a secret hiding place. When the sniffer dogs were on his trail, the Lord brought a dark, heavy rainstorm which hindered the search and the sniffer dogs catching Yun. And Brother Yun said it was the God of Peter who took him through. It's a fantastic story if you ever get a chance to see it. But really, his experience simply amplifies or reinforces what we see here in Acts. That some people will try to silence the message but they won't be able to stop it. They will fail. And I think this is encouragement for us as we look at the state of our nation and as we realise that Christianity is still shrinking in the West. And it's at times like these that people drop off. The weaker go when the going gets tough. And I think some people pine for revival. They think, you know, it's revival's what we need. But actually, it's not so much revival that we need, it's more a re-evangelization of our nation. Because revival assumes there's something to be revived. But increasingly, there isn't really anything to be revived. There's nothing there in the first place. Remember when I was uh, doing some uh, Christian... Um, you know, education at some local primary schools in Tipton. 
I was just going into the schools, we're just teaching basic um, Christian faith and practice to the primary school children. And as I was teaching, we did a, you know, it was one of those um, Bible exhibitions, going into the life of the Jewish people, who Jesus was, the claims he made, some of the basic gospel information. And in each of the schools I was in, the teachers were writing really furiously at the back. And you speak to them and say, you know, what are you writing? They say, we don't know this. So we're writing as much as we, information as we can so that we can correctly teach the children about the Christian faith. We just, we just don't know it. It was very just simple. They just didn't have the knowledge. Not there. So how can you teach what you don't know? And if you've never believed or never had it taught, how can you teach it to others? So many who have sat under the gospel are dying out or have died. So our, our issue is really that we need to re-evangelize the nation. And many younger generations are growing up without even knowing the Christian faith. So it's not a faith to be revived, is it? It's a faith that needs to be re-evangelized. But, you know, it may feel that we may feel discouraged. But actually, we don't, because if this passage in Acts teaches anything, it teaches us that the Lord's message will not be stopped. If all the power of the state tried to stamp out the gospel like it did here, the highest court in the land, the prison of the land, the most powerful institutions of the land were unable to stop the gospel then, that means no law, no discouragement, nothing can stop the gospel working now. So this does encourage us to be courageous because the message won't be stopped. Do you believe that or do you fret? Are you so keen for the Lord's message to go out that you fret? Well, as it says in, in the scriptures, don't, do not fret, it leads only to evil. Oh, I understand the frustration. I think many Christians understand the frustration. They've been so eager for people to, lead, to, to believe the gospel that you can end up fretting. But it doesn't do any good. As the scriptures tell us, it only leads to evil. So as we close uh, this passage, just remind yourselves about this Marmite reaction. You know, these are the expectations that we're to have as Christians. Some people will love the gospel, so share freely. Some people will hate the gospel, but it can't be stopped. So don't give up. And if you've just started in the Christian faith, don't be surprised when you see either of these two reactions. Same message, two different reactions, both are normal, and both are worked out within God's economy for his purpose, for his praise, for the extension of his, ki- of his kingdom, and for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Dear Father, we do thank you for these letters which you've written as you show us how you grow the church. Thank you for showing us that there's times when your message is heard, received, understood, and is a blessing to those that listen. Father, thank you too for showing us that there's times sometimes when you share the message and it's rejected, it's not understood. Father, please give us strength to keep sharing the message of your love when we know these two reactions 
will be playing out over and over again. Please give us perseverance where we have experienced rejection for sharing the gospel. Lord, please lift our hearts, please lift our spirits, and please give us strength to try again. Lord, where we've seen your message believed and received and understood, Father, we thank you for the growth of your kingdom and the blessing that is not only to your name, but to the wonderful good of those who believe and receive your gospel. Father, we pray in those situations you would again encourage us, help us to realize that that isn't always the case as we look to you, Lord, for the growth of your kingdom and the perseverance of your saints. In Jesus' name, amen.